1: So as some of you might know who follow us on Twitter and on Facebook, we've been trying to get Nate Duncan on. Um, If you listen to any NBA podcast, you probably know who Nate Duncan is, uh, host of the Dunked On NBA podcast podcast. Um, because a lot of Suns fans feel like he has a bias against the Suns. And so he hit us up on Twitter, offered to come on the pod and dispel some of those myths. So we're really excited to have him come on a uh, really fun guest. Uh, the interview starts at about the 20 minute mark of this episode. So if that's what you're coming to listen to, you can just skip forward to about the 20 minute mark and we will have Nate Duncan of the dunked on podcast on the show. What did you hear that Devin Booker had a plus minus of like 37 last night? He had 48 points and 11 assists and 10 of 10 from the free throw line. And if you haven't got the message that you're shooting, percentages are incredibly exclusive for a player of his usage rating. I'll continue conversating while
2: the suns are escalating. One day they'll be jumping on that podium and celebrating.
1: So the panel guys, they love to analyze the suns. So the guys love to analyze the Suns. So it has been a, a good stretch of basketball for the Suns. They've lost a couple of at home, although it is worth noting that um, the teams that they were playing at home during this stretch. Included the Denver Nuggets, the top of the Western Conference, as well as OKC, again, at the top of the Western Conference. And both of those games, uh, surprisingly competitive, at least through certain points. Um, The Thunder game, although it was a a bit of a bigger loss, the Suns were competitive through the first three quarters. And then just the, the rails fell off in the fourth quarter. And then, of course, against the Nuggets, the Suns went on that huge run to end the game, bringing the game within four points.
2: Yeah, if this was like summer league scoring where you got credit for winning quarters, uh, the Suns would have won six of eight quarters. So that would have outweighed the extra point you get for each win. So really, um, it would have been six points to four points, and the Suns would be 2-0 and on this homestand uh, as of Sunday morning. Uh, the Suns won three quarters against OKC, and they won overall, and they won three quarters overall against uh, Denver. It just happened to be that the two bad quarters the Suns had were so bad they couldn't be overcome by three other good quarters. They were down by 20 after one on Saturday night against Denver after finishing losing by 20 in the fourth quarter against OKC on Friday night. You take those two quarters out and they and they won by uh, handy margins on both sides. So let's just pretend that happened because you know what we are the kings of focusing on things that are not win and loss related we are six years into the sun's rebuild uh four four full uh admitted years into the sun's rebuild and we haven't been able to talk about a winning record uh once in the last four years so it's been really really nice to be able to actually watch some suns wins in the last couple of weeks uh, so we are going to focus today's podcast, or at least today's intro section that's on YouTube and the first 20 minutes or so of our pod overall on some positives. We're going to talk about Suns wins and what the Suns are doing to win games. So what I've seen the Suns doing to win games is, uh, first of all, um, having healthy Kevin Booker and TJ Warren back, that does help a lot. Another thing the Suns have done to win games is uh, play some Eastern Conference teams. That really helps a lot uh, because in the West, uh, you've got 14 teams who are all vying for playoff spots out of 15 right now. And in the East, uh, you've got maybe a handful of teams at the most. And the Suns finally were able to play some teams that weren't at the top of the East.
1: Well, they did get get a win against Boston, though.
2: They did. They did get it. That was a big win. That was the biggest win of the season, beating Boston. Boston was minus a couple of players, including Al Horford. But um, our rookie DeAndre Aiden had played pretty well against Al Horford in the first contest, where the Suns had a lead until the end of the game and lost to Boston early in the season. So i, I I've got a uh, I've got a warm spot in my heart for uh, the Suns road trip, and that's the that was the winningest road trip the Suns have had in four years since Isaiah Thomas was coming off the bench with Gerald Green in what I had dubbed the Chuck Wagon bench unit uh, back in early 2014. So that's the, that's the best road trip the Suns have had in all that time so I'm really enjoying it. Um the other thing the Suns are starting to do obviously on the court is focus on Devin Booker being the the main ball handler most of the game and getting three long-armed wings out there with Kelly Oubre along with Mike Mikkel Bridges and um Josh Jackson and getting out there and cutting off passing lanes, even Devin Booker's getting into the act and he's, he's gotten a a few steals over this uh, last few games as well. Um, So it's been really fun to see. And then Deandre and developing into a a more of a uh, rim presence and defensive presence. So that's been really nice to see.
1: I also think it's worth noting how much better Josh Jackson has been playing as of late. it looks like he's been within control. Uh, playing with him himself most games. Uh, Scoring is up, his uh, assist percentage is up, his turnover uh, percentage is down, uh, field goal percentage is up, but he's just looked a lot better out there on the court, and it's been interesting to watch uh, Kelly Oubre specifically and the the kind of impact I think that he has on Josh Jackson. It seems like Josh Jackson is taking note that this is a player that um, I'm competing with for minutes, but Mm -hmm. he's also playing well with, and it seems like he's taking a lot from that.
2: Well, I think Josh is seeing the kind of player that he um, sees himself as. Kelly Oubre is a guy who likes to score when he gets a chance, uh, touching the ball, and he likes to play defense. And that's the kind of thing Josh was supposed to be coming into the league. And And also Kelly Oubre is a really high-energy guy. So he's going to run around top speed, just like Josh Jackson has always done. So finally Josh has a guy who who he fits right with, and I think they play very well together. Igor said the other day at practice, that he's going he's gonna to keep those guys in the second unit together because they play so well together um, as a tandem. And, uh, of course, he's got to figure out all the rotations and deal with foul troubles and stuff like that as they come up. But it's been really nice to be able to see uh, the Suns have several players who all play the same style between Bridges Jackson and Oubre, and it just brings everybody else up as well. Uh, D'Anthony Melton's been pretty good on uh, – Help defense. I know Tim wants to talk about DeAnthony just a little bit, um, but DeAnthony Melton has been pretty good on help defense and getting in passing lanes and, and an open space, but he's been really struggling with on-ball defense and running the team. Tim, you got more to say about that, or do you want to just let that one go?
1: So we have a pretty big interview coming up on the show that's not going to be a part of YouTube. You can always go over to our uh, actual podcast and just subscribe there. But um, so I'm doing a really deep dive, which is the first time that I've done a really deep dive into uh, the stats since the Trevor Ariza trade, partly because I just want to see a large enough sample size. I want to see what the rotations were going to look like. And uh, one thing that stood out to me is DeAnthony Melton. When you add him to nearly uh, any lineup, he's not. A positive uh, in nearly any facet. You have the four-man lineups so that, once you add him to, all of a sudden become a negative. And I think that that's been really interesting. And just kind of watching him play, he's not really doing—he's not really doing point guard things. And I'm not sure if this is because of the way the the offense. Is designed, uh, if it's just reflects on him as the type of player that he is. Uh, to your point, Dave, he's been a really good help defender. He hasn't been great on ball, um, but he has been getting in those passing lanes, but he's just not really doing point guard things. You know, he's only averaging a couple of assists per games. Um, one thing I can note without laying out all of the stats, because they're kind of boring to read, honestly, is that the Suns <laughs> just straight up have not been better with the Anthony Melton on the floor and something you and I talked about via text before getting on this might be the Sun trying something where they're playing Melton more uh, with the second unit along with Crawford and trying out some different lineups like that, that might be a bit more uh, beneficial than him playing with the starters as much as he has been.
2: Yeah. I, I just think the fit with, um, if you're either, you're either going to start Devin Booker as the, as the, as the point guard, or you're going to have someone like a DeAnthony Melton in the, in the starting lineup. I just don't like Jamal Crawford next to, Devin Booker and I don't really okay. So let's talk about. You could just say you put somebody else entirely, like Elliot Cobo or whatever, in the starting lineup and have Melton come off the bench with the bench guys. But the problem is then uh, you've got one less veteran out there who who can who can sometimes prop up the bench units. I know people don't like watching Jamal Crawford play. I know most of the time. He appears to be a negative out there, but you've got to have if you're if you've got a guy who's got a really good voice in the locker room, who really has a nice impact on this young team and gets this young team in the right spirit. They all love playing with him. They all think he's a great teammate. And he actually um, he actually won teammate of the year last year, right, uh, for the NBA in uh, for Minnesota. Um, I think he's got to be able to still continue to build sweat equity, which means he's got to play. You can't – this happened with Jared Dudley. This happened with Tyson Chandler where uh, they meant well on what they said and Ryan Anderson to an extent this year. They mean well, but if they're not actually playing in the games on the court, the players give them a little bit – have to give them a little bit less credit on their advice on uh, when you you tell a guy what to do right and wrong or what he was doing wrong and tell him how to do it right – you need to be the one who was out there doing it, too, and taking some blame for things and taking some credit for things as well when you deserve it. So um, I kind of probably went off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I I, I wanted to talk about Jamal Crawford uh, and and folks saying that maybe he should be benched or get a lot fewer minutes. He just loses all of his equity in the locker room if he does that.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think what Jamal's been bringing has been good. It's been noticeable, I think, over the last couple of games. Him playing at times when before in the rotation uh, he would have been there, and I think that that's been it's been a little bit clearer. Like in the, in the OKC game, for example, I think that Jamal uh, with that second unit is really where it uh, the the downturn came in that fourth quarter. There was a couple of times where he got switched on with Nerlens Noel, and he tried to take him one on one, and it, Jamal's just uh, mm-hmm. simply not the. Player that he used to be. I mean, he's good, and to your point, he provides a lot of equity in that in that second unit. Um, Devin Booker and Jamal Crawford on the court together, though, uh, they have been bad. They're like a net rating of like negative thirteen or something like that. They, I, like that's a back court you don't want to see very often.
2: Right. No, I get it. I get it, and and it always brings me back to uh, what Igor said a few weeks ago. He's only got so many options with this rotation, it, hindsight and uh, foresight is always much more accurate than actual reality. And knowing who's going to play well at any one time, there's only so many options that Igor has for his rotations. And sometimes they work well and sometimes they don't. Um, he's got to think about a lot of things at once. And yes, sometimes he gets stubborn during the games, but when, when he has time to think about it, like Jamal played a lot fewer minutes on Saturday than he did Friday, Part of that is because he has that lingering knee issue and and he's older, but also part could be his ineffectiveness from Friday night. But during the game, uh, Igor is not going to be like a fan on Twitter or in the bright side comment sections where he's just like, oh, that guy had a bad play, sit him. You know, Igor's going to stay with the guy and let him play through it a little bit. And sometimes that works and sometimes
1: it doesn't. So i <laughs> prepping for... This interview that we have coming up, I was uh, looking at the shot frequency chart, uh, not the shot percentage chart, but the shot frequency chart with uh, Devin Booker, and he has not taken a single corner three all season.
2: That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah,
1: not well, one. I,
2: I, <laughs> I was thinking about that a little bit uh, when I saw you uh, mention it earlier on on the Twitter, and. I guess it's it's part of the offense this year. Uh, Devin has talked about it. he sees the floor a lot better when he's on a wing, when he's out, when he's out on the floor, um, on the wings or or at the top of the key, and uh, so that's where he's spending all of his time. But uh, I think it's interesting that he's never once dove into the corner after a dribble handoff and taken a pass from another guard into the uh, in, in the corner. And taking an open three. That's just wild. That's Uh, wild.
1: uh, Just by accident. Yeah. And the flow of the offense to be broken play. It
2: used to be a staple of the Suns' offense. So I'll have to watch a little bit closer on on what they're doing. I guess they're always running Booker down to the baseline, but then back up on curls to get the ball in his hands. uh, And, you know, down screens and all that to get the ball back in his hands and he doesn't just sit in the corner. Partially because the Suns don't have another reliable playmaker, which is also partially the reason... Jamal Crawford is getting playing time because at least the coach knows that Jamal won't be throwing the ball away all the time. Although he did a couple of times against Newlands Noel on Friday. Um, But
1: it is, God, you would think, are you sure? I'm pretty sure that's how I was looking at. So I, (laughs) if someone can, if someone can run this for me because I don't feel like doing it and I might not know how it doesn't mean I couldn't figure it out. If, is there another player in the NBA this season averaging more than one, three a game, that hasn't taken a single corner three.
2: Yeah, that's. Uh, I'd like to see that in the comments <laughs> on bright side. On who's going to actually who's going to actually look that up and and figure that out. You know, that's crazy. It but be, it is it is just a staple. Uh, so it used to be a total staple of the Suns' office to do that offense to have the well, point Bridges, guard. Well, Bridges Bridges gets a tons offer.
1: of a ton of corner threes,
2: and he's terrible at them. When is he going to get better at the corner threes? The dude is a 40% lifetime shooter in college, and he's doing well on the wings for the Suns, but Bridges is like shooting 22 or 20% on corner threes this year. And the corner three is usually the easiest three-point shot to take. So I'm not sure how that's possible.
1: Uh, We're kind of coming up on time. Do you want to talk about DeAndre Ayton's uh, big 24-point quarter? Is that what it was, 24-point quarter? The Suns put up a. There's this new movie out. Bird of Box is on Netflix. I'm sure everyone's seen it. Everyone's seen the memes. Um, the Suns Twitter or the Suns Instagram, man. They got they got jokes talking about nobody. Uh, nobody talking about DeAndre Ayton's big quarter. Yeah.
2: I mean, okay. So so obviously the NBA tweeted and stuff like that. But you know, if if other uh, rookies would have had a 24 point quarter, then. Uh, the Twitter sphere would be going crazy with it. Deandre Ayton gets him and people go, "Oh, he's just uh, you know, he just had some good opportunities." So, um yeah, it's it's interesting. Deandre has the uh I mean, Devin Booker has set the uh set the Suns record for points in a quarter at 27. And uh Deandre Ayton as a rookie is the youngest is the is the only rookie with a 24-point quarter in Suns history.
1: Uh, just to bring it back really quick, just looked it up and Mikael Bridges is shooting 31% from the corner, corner three, putting him in the 20 percentile. Um, non corner threes, he's shooting 41%, uh, putting him in the 86 percentile. So, to your point, Dave, he is just um, exceptionally better at non corner threes. Um, but and that's just wild. When I was watching that quarter with Aton, it just, it stood out to me thinking, uh, you know, and Aiton has his defensive issues and we've talked enough about those. So it doesn't really matter. We're all aware he's getting a little bit better, yada, yada, yada. But uh, on the offensive end, I was just thinking, imagine him playing with an actual point guard. How much better <laughs> he would be? Because it's, it's hard to judge players. And this is something that I harped on the Sixers a lot. Um, back when they had Jalil is is it's really hard to judge oh. big men specifically who don't have a point guard around them,
2: <clears throat> so i've got i've got I've got a beef with this, and i don't I don't necessarily disagree with you, Tim, but I've got a beef with this. The beef I have with it isn't necessarily that uh, whether DeAndre Ayton would be better with a point guard or not. The beef I have is that he is about the most productive twenty year old big man. We've had since as far as productivity, as far as scoring and rebounding and things like that. He's the most productive that the Suns have had uh, since Amari Stoudemire. And I don't even think Amari approached these numbers as a rookie. And then, you know, it's really Shaquille O'Neal is the last one who did anything like um, DeAndre Aiden is doing product productivity-wise, and then you, you you make the Jaleel Okafor comparison, and that is not a comparison to me because Okafor was always short on athleticism and never really uh, was self-aware enough to improve and, and work on his defense, um, whereas Aiden is constantly thinking about it, constantly, and that's his problem is some of it is is, is he's overthinking.
1: Well, yeah, I'm just talking off. I don't think that's a app
2: comparison. I know other people have made that, but... I want to go off on a tangent just for a second, and then we're gonna um, we're gonna have to cut out the YouTube thing and go on to our regular podcast with our our interview, our big interview. But the comment I want to make is the is I see a lot of the word finally with DeAndre Ayton uh, playing a little bit better defense inside and uh, offensive rebounding. The Suns are third in offensive rebounding during their stretch of playing well, um, and that's almost all because of uh, DeAndre Ayton. You can't say finally about a guy in his 30th game as a 20-year-old in the NBA. That's not finally. That's like that's like a natural, really fast, really fast progression. That's like saying finally, Igor found a pretty good rotation with a half a dozen NBA players on a 15-man roster. That's natural, fast progression. So can we get off the finally and, and go into just appreciating what we have instead of always wishing we had the next? And now people are saying, well, he's going to have to do the, that, uh, you know, the thirty fifteen games a lot more often for me to know it's consistent. Did you see the tweet out there that somebody looked up that, um, that the only guys, the only rookies who have had 33 and 14 games were like two. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal is one of them that have ever had 33 and 14 games. Blake Griffin had two, Shaquille O'Neal had two, and that's it.
1: Um, I will so, I will end it with this stat right here. And this is seven. This is the top seven rookies. Only uh, 23 rookies have ever had, have ever averaged 16 and 10, um, shooting at least uh, uh, 50% true shooting percentage. Uh, number seven, uh, Tim Duncan in 97 98, with a true shooting percentage of 57%. Jerry Lucas in 1963 64, true shooting percentage of 57%. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, 92-93, Alonzo Mourning, 92-93, Carl Anthony Towns, 2015-2016, David Robinson, 1989-1990, and DeAndre Ayton leads that entire list of center rookies with a 62% true shooting percentage, averaging 16 points, at least 10 rebounds, uh, and two assists a game on top of it, which those other centers did not have. He has arguably been the best offensive center in his rookie year in NBA history. Send Devin Booker to the All Star Game. Tweet hashtag NBA vote Devin Booker. Again, that's hashtag NBA vote Devin Booker. And finally, joining us on today's episode, we are extremely, extremely happy to have them coming to the Lion's Den to talk about uh, the Phoenix Suns Nate Duncan, the host of the Dunk On Podcast, and uh, some of you might refer to him as public enemy. Number one, I am assuming Nate Duncan that you have been hearing a little bit of Sun's chatter in your Twitter mentions recently.
0: (laughs) No, I never check my mention and then I just block everyone who uh, has uh, (laughs) negative commentary about me. No, I I have seen that and uh, always happy to uh, play an away game.
2: Yeah, Um, we appreciate you getting on here today, Nate, and uh, talking through this. Um, I know Tim has some questions lined up. Do you want me to go first, Tim, or do you want to go first?
1: Well, I got this. I want to start off and I kind of want to get Nate's perspective. So on... Uh, in the right around December 21st, uh, he had done a, um, an episode talking about the, the top prospects under the age of 23 that were broken up into tiers. Tier one being Kat and Jokic, tier two being, um, Donchich, Mitchell, Simmons, Tatum, tier three being Jaron Jackson, Jr. Uh, and Porzingis tier four being Darren Fox and Jamal Murray. And I, you know, there were a couple of statements that you had on the episode specifically i wanted to kind of talk to you about nate you had said
0: well well but before we start mm -hmm. though you got to be clear you didn't say the rest of tier four so basically the idea of the tiers is that the people within the tiers are you know very close to each other it's just you have to rank them in some order but that they i thought they're very close so devin booker jalen brown uh can't remember exactly who else uh, was in that less the uh, that tier um, with Murray and Fox. So basically, I'm saying you know as a long-term prospect, the inquiry is: Would you rather? Ha- who would you want to have for the rest of their career? Uh, that that's where I had Booker in line with those guys. So it's it's not quite accurate to say I left Booker off. It's just, you know, if we cut it off at 10, but he's in the same tier as those other guys. We end up going down to about 15 or so with the honorable mention. So just wanted to be clear on that, that it's not like, you know, Booker is just completely unworthy. I w- didn't even consider him for, for being in the top 10. Uh,
1: you guys had a very lively discussion. <laughs> no, come comparing. on, Nate.
2: We're not going to let you <laughs> off that. No, 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 no. You didn't include him at all. You hate him. He's the worst player in the game. We get it.
1: <laughs> um, so you had said, though, on the on the podcast, that premium skill in the NBA is creating offense for yourself and others. And, you know, if that is something that was being weighted heavily in, um your tears, I guess I'm just curious why Devin Booker uh, wasn't a bit higher than that.
0: Well, I said creating efficient offense for yourself and others. And for most of Booker's career, that hasn't necessarily been the case. You know, when he's been out there, the Suns have not been in efficient offense. They haven't really even been up until this year, and even these last, you know, I think he's been back from injury now eight games. uh, You know, it hadn't really been the case that that they were that much better with him, other than the fact that you consider they have absolutely no point guard backing him up. You know, that's been a big change uh, this year that they've just been so bad with him off the floor. So his on off numbers look a lot better. So um, I definitely am impressed with what Booker has done so far this year. And I might move him up probably within that tier, even based on what we've seen over these last few games. Um, So, But really the issue heretofore in his career has been that he hasn't created efficient offense necessarily for himself. He got better in that area last year, largely on the strength of really good three-point shooting. But the Suns' offense had not been efficient when he was out there, and so the best guys really drive that offense. But it's also, you know, I mean, I think – it's important to draw the distinction between this and the shooting guard rankings, which are, you know, who is he right now? And then what is he going to be in the future? You know? So I think that's, that's an important inquiry here. You could try to project what he's going to be in the future based off precisely what he's doing right now. But there are other factors that come into that as well, you know, such as physical profile, just what the game looks like watching him on tape, which, you know, make it a, a lot more art than science there, especially projecting future performance.
2: Uh, Yeah, when you talk about the efficient offense, and I know uh, a lot of what you guys talked about on your podcast was about whether they contribute to winning or not. And then you talk about efficient offense, that being the entire offense. And You're absolutely right. The Suns have been about 30th in the league on offense since Devin Booker came into the league. And they've only just recently gotten a little bit better. Um, But I think context is huge and for um, Suns fans who live and breathe this stuff and they they watch every single game I think what where they take exception to the comment about creating efficient offense is What he's got to work with around him and that just because the entire offense isn't efficient doesn't mean Devin Booker himself Isn't as efficient as he possibly can be Uh, he's the the guy has been uh, he gets to the line he actually gets to the line. I know you made a comment you didn't see that the other night against Orlando, but he does get to the line a ton. Um, you know, he averages six free throws a game uh, last year, and and that's, uh, that's really good. Um, plus, making his threes, last year he made 38% of them. Um, he's obviously won uh, the three-point contest, so we know he can shoot them. He's just nobody's as good uh, shooting off the dribble, and that's what Devin Booker's been forced to do his entire career. In fact Tim made a comment earlier on our pod on this podcast before we got you on the line Nate that um Booker hasn't even taken a corner 3 this year at all because the entire offense is predicated around him creating offense and and almost all of his threes are taken off the dribble which nobody makes as well. So um as far as calling him efficient or not his true shooting percentage of uh 56% last year even uh is puts him in in a top nine of guys who who are a producer like him with 24 points four assists a game there's only been, there were only nine guys in the entire league last year who made 56 percent on true shooting percentage last year and almost all the uh, well half of them were big guys and half of them were guards so it's just crazy um how efficient he has been on a really really terrible i mean he's They've released every single point guard they've had over the past year and a half because those guys aren't good enough to play in the NBA. Um, so let's, it, it is a contextual argument that that fans are arguing with you about, I think.
0: Yeah, well, and I understand that argument. And I think when he can help drive more efficient offense, then he can move <laughs> up in the rankings. You know, I mean, well, it, yeah, it, when- there's. When he There's gets
2: better, NBA players around him is the key. It's not that he's not driving efficient offense; it's that the players around him aren't. Like Kyrie Irving, for example, um, he was one of the most best offensive players, and he just happened to um, also be an incredible athlete and made you know all those all those crazy highlight plays. But his first three years in the league, two years in the league for Cleveland, were awful, and people thought he couldn't contribute to winning basketball. Then all of a sudden, LeBron James comes in. And then Kyrie Irving's a number two to a Finals winner, and he goes to another team to be the leader of that team for the rest of his career if he if he if he gets what he wants anyway with with Boston. Uh, it's sometimes it's context and it's the players around him. And if you don't have NBA level players around you, you're not going to succeed no matter how good you are.
0: Yeah, I certainly understand that argument. I mean, well, so let's be clear what we're talking about here, though. Are, are we talking about how good he is right now, or are we talking about? you know, what he's eventually gonna be when he's fully formed. And just to be clear, I mean it's Booker, the way that he has been playing in these last eight games or so. Now granted it's probably the best would you agree that's probably the best eight game stretch of his career the way he's been playing since he returned I actually- from Jury?
2: I Actually, disagree. Uh, okay, but that's that's a longer conversation. Well,
0: it's certainly it's certainly up there, though. Uh, you you would say, right? I think you're just above the, the level the that he's, that he's been at.
1: at I really his, don't. His assists have been noticeably noticeably better. He's also been playing a lot better defense yeah. um, as of late. But he's had yeah. much well, better
0: stretches. That's all. Yeah. All right. Well, so I, I think when you that game against the Magic the other day, and obviously it's not possible for me to watch every Suns game, totally. but. That that game, to me, if he can do that on a regular basis, where you're really changing the shape of the defense, where you're forcing them to double-team at the point of attack, and then you can set other guys up for easy shots, when you can bend the defense by hitting threes off the pick-and-roll, and you can uh, ping the ball to the weak side, hit the roll-man, which he's been doing a great job of lately, uh, finding DeAndre Ayton in particular, so that changes things, right? That now that's what I'm talking about with driving efficient offense. I think Kakoshkov's system has really helped him there yes. as well where okay, if you're going to be on the ball all the time and you're going to be taking a lot of mid-range jumpers. Yeah, some of that is okay, they don't have that much talent and in particular they haven't had a lot of shooting around him and they you know, they haven't they've had a lot of turnovers and they haven't really had guys who can set him up you know i certainly think that's a, a reasonable argument that he hasn't had guys who can set him up but you know he also hasn't really worked that well as an off-ball player in my opinion um but when he is actually able to manipulate the defense drive efficient offense for his team i think that's the, the difference i don't know that their talent is like that unbelievably better than it's been in previous years uh, offensively so, necessarily. so last I mean, he's year, on Kevin... the floor
2: Last year, Devin Booker's role men were Marquise Chris, who can't get on the floor for Houston and uh, wouldn't have gotten on the floor for the Suns anymore either, and Dragan Bender. Those were his role men. This year, he's got DeAndre Ayton, who can catch and finish. Um, around him. Hey, don't forget about Isaiah Tyson Chandler. Kane. That's not a role guy, though. Tyson Chandler is a finish guy at the rim. If you can lob it to the rim, which they tried to do way too often last year, and nobody knew how to do it except Devin Booker on lobbing at the rim but tyson literally had to catch the ball in the air with his hands within six inches of the rim to be able to finish last year so um while tyson chandler is very highly efficient on the shots he did take he just simply didn't jump for a lot of the lobs that the suns tried to do and there's certainly no bounce passes or hard passes to the chest or anything like that you could do with tyson chandler so uh i i I guess i uh we're we're probably going to agree to disagree on this. I think the level of well, well, talent so, so on the me, is a lot better this
0: year. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I think it, it, that's probably true. But it's in general, though, every player basically can have these sort of context arguments, right? Like Jamal Murray, for example, right? You could say, and you know, it's hard to know which of these are true, right? You have to base it ultimately on what you're seeing out there on the floor. Yeah. You know, you could argue a certain guy would be better in a different context, but you don't know for sure that that's the case, right? Like Murray, you, you know, you could make one argument like, okay, he's on a good team. He's really benefiting from Jokic. You know, if, he, if you uh, put him on a different team, he'd have to have the ball in his hands more. He'd be way more inefficient. You can know, you could make that argument. Or you could say, well, hey, you know what? He hasn't had a chance to run pick and roll that much. Everything runs through Jokic. He's got to play off of him. Imagine what he could do if he had the ball in his hands more and he had, had a higher usage, right? Like you can make those arguments for every team, you know, and all of the players... On this list and so ultimately you have to base it on what the record has been on the floor and until very recently that has not been good for booker
1: why why did you have donovan mitchell rated so high above booker
0: well to be clear i probably even would move that down a little bit now but i think so are we ta- we're still talking about the prospect list or are we talking about the shooting guard right
1: uh yeah the point? prospect list
0: okay so Booker has been a better offensive player than Mitchell this year. I think that's very clear. Uh, When we get into prospects, though, and I mentioned this on the show, to me, it's all about the upside to be maybe a top 15 player in the league. And I think there's a couple reasons why I would give Mitchell a better chance at getting there than Booker, even if perhaps you might argue that Booker's median outcome as an offensive player might be higher than Mitchell's, right? So that's just... The way that i'm doing the list is i'm valuing upside above just about anything else uh which so,
2: upside on on uh, donovan mitchell is better than Devin booker by well then.
0: so a lot of it is the athleticism that mitchell has shown right i mean i think he has the ability to get by guys more than booker he, he can get to the rim a lot better than Booker can. He's got much better defensive tools. He is a better defensive player. He's played it on a winning team. He's played on a team where you actually, you know, if you make mistakes, you're going to get pulled out of the game, right? That's something that Devin has talked about a lot. Um, but where, for example, mm-hmm. last year where he said, hey, you know, we've just had stuff that's been gifted to us, right? We, yep. we haven't been uh, – our whole team has been that way, and, you know, we picked up some bad habits. So, uh, but that, that's more for the current shooting guard rankings. But for Mitchell, it's really more, I think, a, about the athleticism that he has. I mean, if you look at the physical profile of Booker, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who is a top-15 player in the last 20 years with a similar physical profile to Booker's, you know, pretty average athlete, pretty average finisher at the rim, not going to create a ton of separation off the dribble, you know, relying on kind of shooting over guys and then, you know, not really having the physical tools defensively as well. So that's the reason I would have had Mitchell hire. I mean, he's continued to struggle. So, and as I said on the show, if Mitchell continues to shoot the ball this way, he's really struggled this year. A lot of that was based on what he did last year in the second half of the year for the Jazz and in the playoffs. If he can't rediscover a shot, then he'll be a lot lower next year.
2: So about the projections, is that based on uh – uh I mean, obviously Mitchell is even uh, the same age as Devin Booker. So, as far you, so you're basing it just on pure athleticism and the ability, the the chances that he can maximize the athleticism in his body, and and he's got more of that than Devin Booker. That's what you're basically coming down to.
0: Well, I think that's a big part of it, and then also defensively as well, like that matters for the shooting guard position. Obviously, offense matters more than defense does. You kind of defense starts to matter more as you go up the positional spectrum. But, yeah, I think that's the biggest reason is that you can see that Mitchell, as an elite athlete, can create separation more easily against the best players in theory. You know, again, as I said, if I had to say who's going to be more likely to be the better offensive player over the course of his career, I probably would go with Booker. But I like that higher 10 percent outcome for Mitchell than I do for Booker because of of Booker's pretty average Mm -hmm. physical profile.
1: Doesn't court vision account for a lot? I mean, Devin Booker, uh, apart from the amount of assists he's averaging this season, uh, 34% assist percentage, which I don't have the list of assist percentage by an NBA shooting guards, but uh, that's incredibly high. And, and doesn't, uh, wouldn't that outweigh uh, athleticism?
0: Probably not, uh, I would say. I mean, it, because passing is something that you can learn to get better at, as Booker has, uh, for example, uh, over the course of his passing, career. Passing, but, but, uh, not,
2: but not court vision. Mm, so why doesn't every player get better at passing throughout their career if it's something you can get better at?
0: I, I think most guys do. Uh, when you're talking about a real on-ball guy, and Mitchell showed a lot of flashes passing the ball last year, too. I think it's surprisingly he hasn't been as good, but he threw some, some wonderful passes last year and you know Booker is kind of the every down guy for the Suns that hasn't necessarily been the case for him so let me ask you guys this question though like, do, you, do you agree with my statement that we haven't really seen a top 15 player in the league with the physical profile of Booker <laughs>
2: At shooting guard, um, yeah, I, I,
0: uh, any, I, any position, I
2: can't. Th- yeah. Well, no, I, I would say Nikola Jokic is a pretty well, okay,
0: yeah. Average. I mean, physical profile, including their, their height and and wing. Well, there you go.
2: So, if you limit it to shooting guard, then, um, you know, actually, I would go back to like a Brandon Roy, I didn't think he was that much of an athlete.
0: Brent, Brandon Roy had a 40 inch vertical, though,
2: yeah, he wasn't that much of an athletic player, though. He played really, actually, I've always thought he played a very similar game. Um, except Booker's even a better passer there. But Brandon Roy was just really transcendent there uh, for Portland at, at one point. Um, so, I mean, there's, I'm, I'm just throwing, there's obviously a short list of guys. I get what you're saying, Nate. But there's also been some incredible athletes in this league who didn't get up to that level.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think our, and we'll probably come to this with Aiton as well. You know, I don't know that we're in that big a disagreement about what Booker actually is. It's more just the the lens that we're viewing the value of of his skills and, you know, the likelihood. Again, you know, I mean, if you wanted to say who's going to be a better offensive player over the course of their career, I probably would pick Booker over Mitchell. But again, I'm just going for the guys that I think, you know, can be a top 15 player in the league. I value that more. The list isn't about, you know, who's going to have the most warp or whatever it is over the course of their career. That was a little bit different of a list. And so I think that's some of the Which You know, when a list just gets printed on Reddit, you're going to lose some of that nuance there. So there is a process to this. You know, there's nothing specific against Booker. It's more just that generally I go for the I mean, Dennis Smith is another one where you could say, all right, you know, Booker is much likelier to have a better career than Dennis Smith, who I had in the same tier as Booker. But I think Smith is such an explosive athlete that if you look at his 10 percent outcome it's higher than booker's is potentially.
2: I think we can agree to disagree on that. Obviously, I know where you're coming from Nate and I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. Um but you know, just putting putting a Dennis Smith in the same tier as Devin Booker, I think that kind of kind of ends the argument at this point to me. Um I don't see them having similar careers simply because Dennis Smith is a better athlete, um and, and better pure well, tool.
0: And, and for- that's not that's not necessarily <laughs> what I said either that they would have similar careers. It's that I, I'm you, looking you put them for in the same tier the superstars. Process. Yeah, yeah.
1: Would 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 James Harden? Would you consider James Harden to be a much better athlete?
0: It's interesting, actually. I was at Warriors shooter on yesterday. I showed this list to a Warriors veteran, and he actually made that same argument. And I was like, "You're crazy." I told I told him that because if you go back and watch James Harden at 22, number one, I think he's just much more explosive off the dribble. You know, the deceleration, I don't know if you guys saw that article a, a couple of weeks ago uh, on ESPN about how, you know, he's just absolutely elite at decelerating. Uh, he, the type of separation that he creates, the way he's able to get to the rim, he had some pretty nasty dunks back in his career. He's got a huge wingspan as well, really strong. So I, I would not put him in, in the same category of Booker as an athlete personally, Um, but, you know, you're... you just so you know, you guys aren't the first person to say that either. Someone, someone else said that, and I was, uh, I was like, "No, you got to go back and watch film of James Harden at twenty-two. I mean, he's kind of thickened up a little bit, but even now, I think I would consider him a better athlete than Booker, just due to the separation that he's able to to get and his start-stop as an athlete is elite.
2: That's that's more that's that's footwork, as uh, but not crazy athleticism. It's just I think there's just different kinds of athleticism. I mean, when you. Sure. Uh, when you yeah, um, well let's let's actually Tim, do you have any more questions on Booker before we go to Aiden?
1: Because I think no, this is a I good was, transition. No, I was, I was looking well, forward well, to so talking about Aiden. It, yeah.
0: if, if you don't mind, I, I mm-hmm. did want to talk a little bit about the shooting guard rankings too. It I think is another uh, interesting distinction. I'll try and keep it quick, but you know, so a, a lot. of... It seemed like really you know Booker again was kind of down in, in the ten or so range. I had him in it with JJ Redick and and Lou Williams and that tier, and, and I think the people that were above him, you know, basically everyone else who was above him other than two were established all-star type of players, you know, or guys have been doing it for a long time on winning teams, Bradley Beal, CJ McCollum, Clay Thompson, those type of guys. But people saw Josh Richardson and Danny Green and they thought, all right, well, that's ridiculous, right? If you put Danny mm-hmm. Green on the Suns for Devin Booker, the Suns would have a much worse record. Right? I think that's for guys who are fans of teams, that's that's kind of the first inquiry that they think of, right, is, well, let's replace, if we put this guy on our team, we'd be a lot worse. And that's actually correct. Like, the Suns would be a lot worse if they had Danny Green instead of Devin Booker. But we're not just talking about the Suns in these rankings, right? We're talking about the entire league. And so if you start to go through all of the teams of who would rather have Danny Green Versus who would rather have Devin Booker, not only for the regular season, but for the playoffs as well, where Devin Booker doesn't have any experience yet for this one year. That's where I think you start to see Danny Green having and especially also because, again, I value winning at the absolute highest levels, being able to contribute on the best teams. That's why I had Green higher than Booker in that ranking.
2: Yeah, but you're 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 valuing yes, you're valuing the winning, you're valuing the contributions that the uh, a guy like a Danny Green has made to winning teams over the years, and giving him a lot of credit for that. I totally agree. But uh, do you do you honestly think that there are a lot of teams who would pick Danny Green over Devin Booker if given the the choice of the two?
0: Well, just for this season and the playoffs, yes, absolutely. I mean, we could go through Ooh. the teams, right? I mean, let, let's go through everyone. So Phoenix, they'd rather have Booker. Hawks would probably rather go through
2: let's go through the uh, let's go go top down
0: playoff teams so Raptors definitely would rather have Danny Green than Booker I think I mean Danny Green has like you know an 18 net rating or something like that for the Raptors like they've they've been doing great he they have plenty of guys who can create already with Lowry and with Kawhi Leonard right I mean like the type of players we're talking about here Devin Booker to this point in his career, has been what I would call a floor raiser. That's something my buddy Ben Taylor says, right? Where you take a team with a bad offense that really needs some creation, you put this guy on it, and now you know your offense will be passable now that you have Devin Booker because you just don't have anyone else to create shots, right? So a lot of the bad teams in the league would rather have Booker for this year because they just can't create anything, right? Whereas the, the good teams already, you start to look at, all right, Devin Booker, not only is he a bad defensive player in the regular season but he hasn't even been in the playoffs right so now teams are going to really attack his weaknesses defensively and we already have a good offense we don't need another guy who's going to do a lot with the ball in his hands and you know maybe he could work more as an off ball player but you know he hasn't really done that yet in his career it would it would take a lot to fit him into our team as well a really high usage guy and so we need guys in the playoffs who aren't going to have any weaknesses and that's what danny green he's going to hit the three so you can't leave him Offensively and then defensively, he's one of the best at his position. He can guard uh, four positions. So, if you take a really good team already that has enough offense, they would rather have Green. If you have a bad team that doesn't have enough offense, you'd probably rather have Booker.
2: I think we'd rather. I, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree. And obviously, it's because I'm a, I'm a Phoenix uh, guy. So I'm going to have to reach out to some of the Raptors folks and other teams um, at the top end of the the conferences and and see if, who they'd rather have. And I, I really, really. Um, would be interested to hear their, their feedback on that. Just like I'm interested to hear yours. And I appreciate the feedback you're giving us on this, Nate, um, uh, CJ McCollum, you'd really rather have a CJ McCollum than uh, Devin Booker.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. at this point in time, CJ has been on a good defense, which Devin Booker never has. He doesn't make mistakes defensively. Uh, He's able to run, pick, and roll. You have to get out on him at the three point line. I mean, he's just done it for years and years now as part of a good team. You know, I think, and he's better than Booker is defensively. Booker is a better passer, to be sure, uh, at this point in time. CJ doesn't do a ton of that. But, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who has been playing at a near all star level, who's been in that conversation for four years now. I mean, it's, it's just not the same as booker now if booker plays the way he's played the last eight games the rest of the season then you know i think you can start to talk about having booker up there but it's just you know for a guy who's done it on a winning team and has played well no i don't think there's a comparison at this point in time you know when you're looking at the rest of the season and again the playoffs being in that crucible not making mistakes not having as many weaknesses that's really important
2: Find us online on Twitter and Facebook. Just search Sun Solar Panel.
1: You're listening to the Solar Panel. Thank you so much for Nate Duncan, host of the Dunked On podcast, coming on to the show today. Um, Nate, so I want to get your take a little bit on this because there is a part of this that I agree with and there's part of this that I don't agree with. And um, it specifically has to do with with DeAndre Ayton. And just to preface this, uh, uh, the question's coming from somebody who I wish that the Suns had taken Luka Doncic. I thought that Doncic was the better prospect in the draft. And I think so far in his rookie year, Doncic has clearly been better um, than DeAndre Ayton. That being said, DeAndre Ayton has been incredible. He is uh, one of the five centers in the history of the NBA that has averaged 16 and 10. Um, on a true shooting percentage of uh, over 50%. I mean, he has been absolutely incredible Offensively. Defensively, he definitely has a lot of work to do in the pick and roll. Um, His defense at the rim at the very start of the season was not very good. Opponents were shooting definitely above their averages, um, not just in frequency, but as far as percentage. But just speaking from an offensive standpoint, DeAndre Ayton has been incredible. And over the last stretch of uh, the season, last eight games or so, since Devin Booker's returned, his defense has definitely gotten a lot better. Um, Listening to the Dunked On podcast, uh, there, obviously, you guys are, are favoring Luke Doncic in that discussion, but it's, it's really stuck out to me how much, in my opinion, um, the greatness that, Deon, that DeAndre Ayton has, has shown has just been utterly dismissed. Well, uh,
0: well. Let me ask you this first: Are, are you you higher on uh, Jaron? You wish they would have taken Jaron, no, uh, as well. Are you, you like Aiton better than Jaron?
1: I mean, honestly, just to preface this a little bit, because I thought that that might come up. I haven't watched enough of Jaron this season to really have an accurate take on on how well he's played.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, so so I had Jaron ahead of Aiton, and, and Aiton, you know, I, I think. I understand why it is that Suns fans w- would not be happy because Aiton, as far as uh, in my prospects, I had him, be- you know, not even in the top 15 as of now. And so I think wow. for Ayton to me, he's actually been better than I expected him to be offensively. You know, I think his touch around the rim has been uh, really impressive. Um, the way he's been able to finish. And I think he's, shown a little bit more than expected just as a straight post-up guy. You know, I'm not sure whether that's going to be okay. Throw it to him against the other team center and he's going to post up. I'm not sure whether that's going to be, uh, something that you're going to want as like the engine of your offense. But I I think he's looked pretty good, especially posting up against smaller guys. He's played hard offensively, you know, run the floor, gotten into really good post-up position. It's more really what the issue is. And we'll, we'll just stick to his offense for now. Um, what he's doing and where where the center position is right now has a very, very high replacement level, right? So I don't think, we, again, we have a huge argument, at least on offense, about what Aiton is doing. I think it, we agree he's been a very efficient. He's been solid as a role man. Pretty decent on the offensive boards. I might have liked to see a little bit more, especially because... Offensive rebounding is something that doesn't generally improve that much throughout your career Like that's something you can look at as like you kind of are what you are And in fact as players take their game a little more so, perimeter oriented. They generally will you know If anything decline in offense rebounds after the first couple of years, but sorry you want to say something
2: Oh, I was just gonna throw out that. Um, I know I know it's it, it's a going thing that guys don't improve um in, in certain areas, but the during the sun's last eight games and this is only eight of the 30 of the season So it's not like it's eight versus eight hundred um Aiden is is at a 31% offensive rebound rate all of a sudden and it's just because he
0: decided 31% offensive rebound rate for one player that can't Uh be.
2: hold on no no sorry the team is 31% with Aiden yeah. being the guy getting almost all those sorry about that Um Aiden himself has has jumped I'm trying to look at his per month numbers on offensive rebound
1: rate but um I mean he, over the season he's he, at 11%
2: He's at eleven. Yeah. Okay, but the team overall is at thirty-one, and they're third in the league. And over those last games, I mean, I know it's only eight games, but um, you know, we're we're grasping at every straw we can here. In- <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: yeah, and, and he was awesome on the offensive glass last night, obviously too. I mean, that was, that was a big part of, of that. Uh, so, and I think last night actually was was pretty instructive. Right? I mean, awesome twenty-four point quarter in the second quarter, but at this point in time. What he's doing is something that you can take away to some degree, right? I mean, even with him scoring 24, you know, they were down by 20 in part because the other guys were being stopped, right? I mean, the the way he was getting all those buckets, you know, it wasn't necessarily him creating it. He's able to catch Mm -hmm. and finish, and that is a valuable skill uh, to be sure, but that's happening because the Nuggets pick and roll defense, and they play this basically against every team, is bringing the big up to the level Mm -hmm. of the ball and forcing him to pass it, and the Suns did a pretty good job of hitting Aiton on the move, and he's got soft hands, and he's a big target. Uh, so that certainly is valuable. But they're also just at the center position offensively. I mean, if you look at the average PR at the center position, which you know a, a lot of that PR is a flawed step, but it does capture kind of efficiency and usage uh, offensively. The average PR at the center position is 19 right now. And he's 22.2. Sure. And, and so he he definitely, you know, is a better offensive center than maybe the average guy. But that's but, just
2: the way the PER stat is built. I mean, yeah, big men always have been above average on PER. Sure. I get what you're saying, Nate. There is replacement level there. But, it, but uh, he's above but the average. But talking about, you've got a high usage rate to go along with it. And a lot of those centers, most of those centers don't get a high usage rate.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, it's only what, like, twenty-one percent or something like that, twenty-two percent, I think, the last time I looked at it. But it, and so, it, he's he's valuable doing what he's doing, but he, you know, he's finishing plays, right? He's having stuff set up for him by others, and he is finishing plays. But he's also, you know, that's finishing around the room. You're kind of supposed to do that as a center. He adds value there, but over the average center, it's not that much value when you consider the replacement level, right? So, just having a good offensive center. Who's not like, you know, an unbelievable Jokic style passer, or he's not necessarily spacing the floor like a Carl Anthony Towns, or you can't throw it to him every time to create offense. Uh, you know, that kind of player just isn't quite as valuable in today's game. Even if he is elite at the skills that he has, those skills are not as valuable because there are a lot of guys, you know, you can get a reasonable facsimile of eighty percent of Aiden on offense relatively easily now if he becomes a, a three-point shooter and he can pick and pop for three and you can throw it to him in the post against his man he's draws a double team and he can kick out you know that that changes right and i think you know if you want to say hey he's going to develop that i'm a little bit less sanguine about his debil- ability to develop those skills maybe than you guys are um so i mean i think he is to say that he's putting up points and rebounds i think like i kind of expected that he's been a little bit better in those areas you know, when I, I think I had him number five on my board this year when the Suns selected him. But to me, you know, I think he's a valuable offensive player. And now I think we can get to the defense, right? If he if he was going to be a really good defensive player, if I believed that about him, and then, you know, he's a, a, a plus offensive player as well, you know, I, then I think you've really got something there. Still not as good as Luka and maybe not as good as Jaron. But uh, that's why I think, you know, when you just say, Hey, what he's doing, it's not quite as valuable over what else you could be getting, right? When we're really talking about team building here, and then you throw in that, you know, I don't have a lot of hope for him becoming a good defense player. I think he gets to adequate, but I, I don't have a lot of hope for him getting to be really good defensively.
1: Now, if he could get to adequate on the on the defensive uh, side of the ball, um, if, he could, if he could be an average um, defensive center in the NBA, right now he's shooting... On all of his mid-range attempts, uh, around forty-three percent, putting him in the seventy-fifth percentile. That's uh, according to uh, cleaning the glass. Uh, his long mid-range shots—he's shooting thirty-nine percent. So, I, if he could step out, hit the three uh, at a, at a decent clip, uh, even if that's a Joel Embiid clip, um, and he's an average defensive center, uh, would that change your opinion of him at all?
0: Um, well, I think it's it's no guarantee that he gets the average. I kind of see that as more, you know, his. I don't want to say like, you know, 100th percentile outcome, but I'd say, you know, maybe like 80th percentile outcome for him to me would be average just with kind of the lack of feel that he has. And the three-point shooting, yeah, you know, he could get there. I mean, I think the way he shoots the ball, you know, he kind of shoots the ball out. It doesn't have a high arc. You know, that's something that uh, Schmitz and Cody Topper, uh, the Suns player development Mm -hmm. guy, talked about in that article, that they're really going to have to rework that shot from NBA three. And he's not the first guy to do that. He's got decent touch from the free throw line. He, like he could get out there. I don't know that I see him as being just like this absolute bomber. Like, all right, we are terrified of this guy, pick and pop shooting the three or spotting up, you know, Brooke Lopez style of distance. Like that's the, really the value added type of player in, in that scenario. Um, well, so, I, mean, I, think he he be, yeah. I think we're going down yeah, a
2: road. I think we're going down a road. We don't necessarily have to go down. I don't think Deandre Aiden needs to become a three point bomber or a plus defender to be uh, a guy you keep on the on the floor 34 minutes a game throughout the playoffs so i think that the big centers they got uh, played off the floor uh, in the playoffs last year including rudy gobert uh, were because they weren't mobile oh, enough. Wait,
0: rudy gobert got played off the floor when did that I happen think
2: he, i think no i think he uh he, he ended up having a tough time playing
0: defense i'm trying to remember which Well, so no so, nah, I, I think you're uh, off on this one go check what I mean, Houston was arguably, by the numbers, the greatest offense of all time last year, and the Jazz held them like well below what they were doing in a season average. And certainly, he didn't get played off the floor literally; like they were, they still had him out there. And I think when he got in foul trouble, they were a lot worse. So, like I thought, the Jazz defensive strategy actually worked well, in that okay. on that series. Well,
2: on a larger scale, though, there's an argument that centers being are being in general played off the floor sure. in playoffs because of the switching and all that stuff. Um, I, I really see the the, and this is where I'm going to go back to an analogy I wanted to make, or or at least a connection I wanted to make. Um, where the argument with with Devin Booker is that he doesn't have the physical tools to become a top 15 NBA player. DeAndre Ayton has more physical tools than just about anybody um, at his position has had in a very long time, and to to say that he's never going to reach those tools, it, it's just it, it's a specious argument. I'm not sure if I'm using the right word, but it's like the opposite of the argument you were making on the shooting guard side. So how is it that he can't get better because he has all the tools? He's got the skill. He's got the talent.
0: So, I mean, I I think what you have to look at is the history of guys, right? I mean, I agree with you. I think his physical tools in theory, you know, 7'5", wingspan, pretty quick feet. Um, although you know, he's been a little bit disappointing to me in terms of his ability to switch out in the perimeter this year, I, I would hope that he could do a little bit more. You know, based on his college tape. His and issue with that is
2: with overthinking. That's his big problem. Yeah. Is he has to decide what he's going to do, and uh, he's got to get that to be more uh, real time. And, and I don't think the
1: Suns want him to because Holmes switch out yeah. switches out a lot. But I don't. I think the Suns specifically don't want him switching out.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that that may be the case. But there have been times when he's done it, and I think it, it hasn't been quite as effective a, as a, I was hoping that that he could do, you know, based on seeing him before. And maybe he'll get better there to be sure. But uh, to me, you look at things that do and don't improve generally, right? I mean, there always are going to be exceptions to this. But, you know, again, you know, like I said with Booker, who is the last big man who came in? Uh, I mean, Frankly, I don't think he's looked like he does not have very good defensive instincts right now. I mean, there are a lot of things he needs to improve, and we could list those off. But I, I think you guys are at least in agreement with me that he's he's got a long way to go defensively. Is, is that fair to say at this point in time?
2: Yes. He does have a long way to go, but in the in the last third of his first 30 games of his rookie season, he's already made tons of progress yeah. that, uh, that have contributed to the Suns winning some of these games that they didn't used to be winning. Uh,
0: I will respectfully disagree with you that He's. I mean, maybe he has gotten better, but it's still, I think, been really bad in the games that I've watched. I mean, the Washington game when Thomas Bryant went 14 for 14, he was a, a big part of that. Now you might say, oh well, they had him out on the perimeter. But that you was the scheme. That was the lane? scheme.
1: They were they were they well, were trapping. But, but why game. do you,
0: why do you have to go to that scheme?
1: I mean, I I think that's a coaching issue, honestly.
0: Well, but they started off in more conventional pick and roll defense in that game, right? Um, and then they had then they had to switch up. Because they were getting killed just in the conventional pick and roll defense with Aiton trying to lay back. I mean, he he just he's not really shown the ability to kind of split the difference as a drop guy between that's absolutely the ball true. Handler. Yeah. So so then he these ends up are, sitting
2: well, in the middle and not defending anybody.
0: Right. So so he then you're like, well, we got to protect this guy, and how do you do that? You get him out on the floor, right? We got to make this guy give the ball up, and that's why you know, and certainly the rotations on the backside maybe could have been a little bit better. But, you know, that's the reason why they had to go to that scheme to begin with, is because they couldn't play conventional pick-and-roll defense, and Bradley Beal and Thomas Bryan is not exactly your, like, you know, killer pick-and-roll combo that should be forcing you out of your normal scheme, necessarily. So, and then I think in the Orlando game, too, from a help defense standpoint, I didn't really see him make very many plays. I think he had one block in overtime, which was pretty impressive. Um, He had, and then he had one play where DJ Augustin, like, drove right into his chest, and then uh, he forced a miss, but DJ like knocked him backwards and got the offensive rebound and scored. Yeah, that's another thing. Second efforts that I think he needs to make some improvements on. But in any event, I mean that's kind of splitting hairs. Getting back to the overall inquiry, he's who is the last guy who came in with just as a big with bad defensive instincts who was really able to improve? You know, who was able to get to and again, you know, an average defensive player at the center position. That's unless you're just unbelievable offensively in terms of like stretching the floor, uh, or setting up others and being the focal point of the uh, offense. It's hard for me to see. You know, I think he's going to be an effective player in this league for a long time. But,
2: but again, I the think,
0: upside to me is not there if he can't. I think a get lot of people would
2: league. argue that uh, <clears throat> Nikola Jokic and Vucevic and guys like that have improved markedly over their over their careers on defense. Would you agree uh, with that
0: or no? Yeah, I mean, Jokic is a tough one because the numbers, the on-off numbers always kind of liked him, and he was also – I the mean he's just a, a totally like different DeAndre Aiden too. Yeah, it, well, a, a lot of that I think is based on uh, – Ben Falk wrote a piece about this a little bit ago that it, he's kind of gotten lucky in terms of opponent shooting when he's been on the floor, and if you look at the volume at the, at the rim and also, I mean, this is – for the first five games, but they were so bad when he was off the floor in those first five games when Chandler was there. So, I'm, I mean, I think I'm basing it more on the eye test and kind of the, the small sample at this point. But Jokic is a different guy. Right? Like he, I think he always was kind of smart. The question with him was the physical tools, right? He had good hands. He would get in a good position. He just you know, couldn't block any shots when he was trying to protect the basket. Um, and we also have you know probably three years even before this one of Jokic, you know, those on-off numbers being pretty good for him. You know, if there's, if that persists for and for the next three years, I'll probably be seeing a little bit different of a tune uh, at that point. I think it's a little too early to look at those numbers. But uh, back to you guys here. I mean, is there a player who you look at, you know, all right, this guy's pretty athletic, but, you know, he just doesn't have the intelligence defensively that he's been able to grow that intelligence and become like a real above-average defensive center. I, not a ton of examples occur to me maybe Clint capella is one but the way that he was able to be good was as in a swiss scheme as a switch defender last year for the rockets and uh you know we haven't seen him be that good as a conventional pick and roll defender and i think he's got better feet than ayton does too
2: but i think i think what happened with uh with capella for example just using that one um the the coach figured out how to fit a scheme that would that would highlight his talents and and minimize his weaknesses and and uh, I think that's the kind of thing that it, some of its coaching on on what kind of positions you put your guys into to succeed And some of it is the guys developing themselves um, You know, i've been i've been around a lot of of guys coming in and out of, of Phoenix in the last several years and I, I have not been on a national level uh, Following too many teams uh, beyond the casual stuff. So i'm not going to be able to mention a ton of guys, but the The interesting thing about DeAndre Ayton is he's a real thinking man, and he isn't. When you talk about intelligence, I think you really mean instincts and, and natural instincts on, on yeah. Making I, I don't a mean to say within mean to a, say he's a dumb
0: guy. i don't mean not saying he's like no. a dumb guy in life or anything like that. Yeah, it's Just yeah. you know, just on qualified. the floor. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm just think qualifying you, here. Yeah, sure, um, sure. What
2: I'm what I'm saying is that um, he doesn't have the uh, the instincts um, out of the box where he's going to be able to make a millisecond decision. Without having all the information first, and the one thing about DeAndre Ayton is he's he's very self-aware about the kind of things he needs to work on, the kind of things he needs to um, engage with, and um, he's got to make the he's he's got to be able to see these things through before he does get better. So uh, there's not a lot of of examples from all the guys I've seen coming through Phoenix in the last six eight years is there's not a lot of examples of young players who actually believe they need to work on on their the mental aspect to get better at the game of basketball when you talk to them about improving their game they're talking about uh doing drills and and working on everything and and you know a lot of the a lot of the lines that come out about guys and 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 then they get into the bravado about well i've got nothing to prove i'm already i'm already really good that's why i'm on the nba um so i've asked that kind of question to a lot of players and deandre aden is one of the very few who's said look i got a lot to learn and i'm watching every game and i'm learning every game and i'm talking to my coaches and i'm talking to my other players and and i love that they get on me and he's very very self-aware that he has a long way to go so we can argue about it a lot here on whether he does or not because he, he knows he does and and I think, um, Nate, I, I totally get what you're saying is is very few NBA players dramatically improve in an area that they start out as a weakness. Um, but I think in a lot of players where you see it is on the fun offensive stuff uh, because that's the only thing that holds their attention long enough to actually get better at shooting in some guys' cases, passing in some guys' cases, um, scoring at the rim in some guys' cases, you know, getting more athletic so they can break guys down off the dribble. That's where players generally get better in the off seasons. And, um, I just, I just, uh, you don't usually see a guy working on his defensive skills unless he's a marginal player that has to do that to, to stay in the league. Uh, like yeah. a Danny green had to work on be, becoming a better defender after his first couple of years and not really, um, I, I mean, the guy was out of the league for a little while until he became a really good defender who could hit the three. So there. It, it, you're right. This isn't a common thing for a guy to get better at a weakness such as uh, defense in the NBA when they've they've spent their entire life being the best athlete around them and now all of a sudden they're not. Um, uh, so we'll have to see uh, if if DeAndre Aiden does accomplish this, but he is a unique guy at this point in his career, at this point in his maturity and age. Uh, to be so self-aware on this kind of thing and to have already made strides. I know he's still making big mistakes in the games, and those are what everybody shares on Twitter um, and and other other social media, but he's also making huge strides in the things that he needs to one step at a time.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, it seems like his heart is in the right place. I think this coaching staff, I'm a believer in this coaching staff for the first time, you know, in forever with this Phoenix team. So I, I think, you know, that's a reason to be encouraged. And, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible that he can get to be pretty good defensively. I think it's just based on experience of, hey, you know, seeing where he is in terms of an awareness standpoint, and then you compare him with, you know, guys in in his class, like a a Wendell Carter or a, a Jaron Jackson Jr., guys who come in with those defensive instincts. And, you know, it's hard for him not to suffer by that comparison and just again I, I struggled to come up with a long list of guys who you know really struggled with their defensive instincts early in their careers and got so much better at the big position to where and going back to just kind of what he is and the value I mean to me to be a guy who I'm thinking of is like all right this can get into being you know a top 15 type of player in the NBA like he's got to be really good defensively uh or he's got to just get to be like this unbelievable offensive player, which yeah. while he's been very efficient, you know I think it, again there's kind of more of a replacement level to what he's doing now. Um, so I mean, uh, again, yeah, I'd have a to a say that
2: every year guy there guy. are a lot of there's there's a handful of the top fifteen every year who are not good defensive players. I'm I'm surprised you're saying that every single top fifteen player is a great defensive
0: well, player. At at the not at the big position though. I mean I think that what well, would a you consider
1: cat like an above average uh, defensive big?
0: Uh, no, I wouldn't, Uh, but I think, you know, he's he's probably on the lower end of that top 15, I would say at this point, but he's also just, you know, he's a guy who's driving an efficient offense, you know, almost by himself at times in, in Minnesota, right? I mean, even that last year before Jimmy Butler got there, you know, his second year in the league, they're a top 10 offense, largely based uh, on his efforts, right? I mean, so if Aiton gets to that type of level, then yeah, you know, but I, that's something that I don't necessarily see as likely given his current still set i mean he's got a nice touch maybe he can become that kind of all court offensive force at the center position but i you know i don't see that again as likely that's something that would take a lot of improvement from him even if you know he has been unbelievably efficient but mostly finishing opportunities that are set up by others but yeah i mean defense at the center position is really really important right a lot of suns fans will treat me like Hey, you know, you pointed out like Ayton's defense. Like, why aren't you ki- killing Luca's defense all the time? Well, it doesn't matter as much at, at his position. Like, he's he's you can hide guys more easily on the perimeter. Your center, you cannot hide your center defensively. Your center should be involved in nearly every play because of his health responsibilities, because of his pick and roll responsibilities. And so, if you don't have a good defensive center, and again, we're talking about being a top fifteen player at the center position, you gotta be really good, or you gotta be someone who is driving a top 10 offense, you know, basically you put him out on the floor and you get there like a Jokic or like a Towns.
2: So if the defense on the wing doesn't matter as much, then why does it matter with Booker?
0: Well, it still does. When it matter. doesn't
2: it's matter f- with Luca.
0: I mean, I'm just well, asking because there's a, there's a, a lot of these arguments matter. that matter both ways. Well, okay. For Booker, I think the biggest reason why I didn't have him as high is I wasn't as high on his offense. But then you throw in the defense as well, uh, and then it matters more. And I think also Luka is probably better defensively than Booker is at this point in time. Um, he's got better instincts. He's a better help guy. I don't think he makes as many mistakes. Booker's probably better on ball when uh, on the times when he really locks in. Um, and also, you know, Luka is three years younger than Booker at this point. You know, this is his rookie season. Uh, so... Yeah, and I think that those would be the reasons. Like, it, does, it doesn't it does not matter, but it's not as important for a perimeter player as it is for a big. So it's uh, the idea that, oh, it doesn't matter for Doncic, but it does for Booker. Like, that's kind of a canard.
1: So I, I know that we're coming up on time. <clears throat> and again, thank you, uh, Nate, for coming on the podcast because I know yeah. – we do and really appreciate that that, that you get uh, Suns Twitter and your mentions a lot. And so it's it's uh, not always the easiest thing to do. But I kind of want to uh, Suns fans have this impression, um, you know, and I don't want you to speak for Danny. But the Suns have this impression um, with you that you're somehow biased against the Suns. Uh, is that true?
0: <laughs> Does it matter what I'm going to say? No, I think I think. <laughs> it's, uh, I think that's certainly not what true. What did the Suns do could,
2: wrong to you, Nate? Tell us. What did they do to you?
0: No, I actually, in <laughs> fact, before I was writing, I, I went to law school at U of A. I was a, a big Suns fan during the Nash years. So, actually, uh, and I, I was, uh, it, what they did wrong to me is that they've been, you know, maybe the worst organization in the NBA the last five years. I think that, that's, <laughs> it, it's hard to say a ton of positive about that. But nonetheless, I mean, I could probably tell you off the top of my head 10 Suns moves that I liked right now you know, that I think were thought were good moves at the time or that turned out to be good moves. Um, so, no, I mean, I think if you look at the things that we've said about Booker and Aiton, it seems to really come down to those guys, right? Like TJ Warren, for example, I thought was a really good pick at 14. I always liked him. I was disappointed with the shooting. And now, you know what he's done this year has oh, been crap. A, a revelation, right? I mean, that's, a, we'll see whether that keeps up but it's been you
2: to send Josh Jackson to that same shooting coach. Oh, you said on your pod you <laughs> wanted to know what the heck happened with uh TJ Warren, right? How he got better?
0: Yeah, I, I someone was kind enough to send me that a- athletic article yeah. uh you know about the work that he did uh in, in North Carolina this summer. So So we're all no, going
2: to crowdfund um uh sending Josh Jackson to that same and sequestering <laughs> him. Yeah, I
0: mean and and I think you know, there are a ton of other Suns moves that I could look at. I mean, I, I thought that the, from an asset standpoint, the Bridges trade may not have been too great, but I thought he would really help them this year. I thought he'd be a good player. I mean, I, and I think, you know, for those who are like, oh, how can you value Danny Green? I mean, if you just look at having Bridges, who's you know a much worse player than Danny Green at this point in time, but just a guy who can hit a three and play passable defense on the wing, like how much he's helped the Suns this year. You know, you, mm-hmm. you see, um, and, and actually, one other thing I want to mention too is. Going back to replacement level, there really are not that many shooting guards who actually hit three-pointers and play good defense. Like, finding another guy who can do that is actually kind of difficult. Whereas Booker, especially where he was the first few years of his career, I think this year less so, you know, you can kind of find a reasonable facsimile of that player to some degree, right? You can get a Lou Williams who can get you some buckets, for example. You know, you could get, like, a, a Zach Levine, who aren't as good as Booker, maybe, necessarily, uh, although Lou Williams is probably better than Booker last year, but not this year, who aren't as good as Booker necessarily. But again, you can find a reasonable facsimile of that guy who can be a volume scorer at around uh, league average efficiency. Whereas if you really look at, go through the list, like how many guys are there who shoot 40% on threes and play good defense across four positions? It's very hard to find that guy, right? And so that, that's another reason why I, I had green a little higher necessarily, whereas Booker. Uh, and again, if he keeps up what he's been doing with the yeah. distribution and the, and the the same Suns fans who argue better. with yeah. you,
2: the same Suns fans who argue with you about that also are in love with Mikel Bridges for the same exact sure. reason. So we get it.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so do you guys think I biased? I mean, I think you guys have said uh, <laughs> stuff to that effect I think, before. Right? I think
2: everyone in the nation is biased, including Suns fans. We just don't like yeah. hearing other people. It's like it's like, you know what? You can you can make fun of my sister. And I'll kick your ass. I'll make fun of my sister uh, even (laughs) worse. You know, it's the same deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like anyone else making fun of our organization. That's all.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think it's, you know, I would like for the sons to do well. And in fact, I mean, the fact that booker has played so well over these last eight games that actually makes my job easier right like if i can be convinced that we don't i don't have to deal with all this bullshit and, and people argue <laughs> with me all the time because like if oh, he actually uh, starts playing well enough
2: they will be like why'd you drop my player <laughs> it,
0: if he actually starts uh it, you know to play well enough to where my opinion starts to line up with what suns fans think so that actually makes my job a lot easier
2: some other team fan base will hate you though so
0: yeah no that's true well so but uh, I mean do you guys feel that like I've been biased against the Suns that there's that I mean you know obviously I haven't been as high on Booker or Aiden I've tried to explain what the reasons for that are I mean do you guys feel that way or do you feel like all right you know he's explained his reasons and maybe I don't agree with him but you know I'm coming from a legitimate place here
1: um, I have, uh, I've definitely thought that you've been a bit biased against the Suns and that's coming from someone that listens, uh, to nearly every episode, um, that you guys put out, you put out so much content, it's just virtually impossible to listen to every single one. Um, but I've, I've thought that a lot of the takes on, on Booker specifically have come across as, as, uh, really biased. There was a point in which there was an episode where you said that Devin Booker was, uh, the worst defensive two guard in the NBA. Um, and I, you know, I just, I, I, Hard to hard to imagine him being the absolute worst. Um, it's it's you guys have seemed biased towards the sons, in my opinion.
0: Well, so there's a difference between biased and wrong, right? So if there's biased, then I mean you might you might think no, that's stupid. I think you know Lou Williams is worse than him, right? Okay, that doesn't mean that doesn't prove that I'm biased if I have an opinion that you think is wrong, right? So is, if you're going to say I'm biased, that means that there's something. I have some reason why I want to rate the yeah. Suns players lower, right? And we so, have so wondered. If you Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Okay. <laughs> but you. But you have no evidence that that's true, though, right? No. Well, that's, well, that's, that's why I asked.
1: Why. <laughs> saying, I disagree
0: it? with him. And <laughs> anyone who just who is this different from my opinion must be biased. That's basically what the the. The genesis of the argument that I'm biased is right—that I I feel differently about the players than you do. Like, is there anything other than that that you can point to that says I'm biased?
1: No, I guess it would just be a a sheer volume of uh, negativity in my opinion. Listening to your podcast when it comes to uh, the sun's sun's organization or not the organization, the organization's trash. So I mean, I you know completely think you're spot on there. <laughs> but it's with you. <laughs> but yeah. it's been just because I've never really heard anything positive uh regarding the suns uh from you guys i thought there had to have been something that happened <laughs> there was well, a reason I, for so, it
0: so, so i mean do you want, do you want me to just tick off 10 moves that we've uh, that the suns have made that i've spoken positively about on the pod i could do that right now no off well, the top I, of my head i don't even have notes i mean okay. I would say this is
2: this is like any any kind of argument over politics religion or or race is it you know it's like um A person doesn't think they have a bias. Somebody else does. It's impossible to come to an agreement on. That's okay, Nate. Um, What you're saying is that you don't have a bias against the organization, and we can accept that.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, and the reason that this is important to me is because, like, I've built my brand on trying to find the truth about basketball. That's what my listeners hopefully believe that we're trying to bring. And now, certainly, there are things that you can do where you're going to say all right i made this prediction and so you know you want to be right in that prediction right i mean i think that's something Predictions are just always wrong i mean (laughs) 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 yeah that yeah that's a bias that that everyone is going to have right and so you know we try to update our prediction i mean i think we go back i mean more than just about anybody that i know of in nba media to go back and look at the things that we've said and try and evaluate where they're right and try to get better as far as you know we'll redo our off-season grades we look back at our over unders and why we were right or wrong about those. You know, so we do our best to try to update our opinions based on what the reality is. Now, it may be slower to update sometimes because you kind of have your Bayesian prior of what the prediction was that you made, and yeah, there's going to be some evidence against that. And so, if you have a different prior than someone else, you're going to be a little bit slower to update. And so, you know, maybe that comes off as bias a little bit. And there's also, you know, you want to be right about your predictions, but I've tried to build my brand on being uh, realistic about what's going on and trying to tell people why teams win and lose basketball games and being accurate in that. And so that's why we try to update our our predictions as much as we can. So I, I'm a little bit miffed at the idea that like we're biased against the Suns uh, because that's just simply not the case. And it's something that does <clears throat> kind of hurt. The listenership of, of the podcast so that's part of why i wanted to come on here to try to dispel those notions as best i could we'll, we'll see uh, whether i su- succeed actually i
2: i think you actually get more sons listeners because they're looking for your bias and waiting for them
1: <laughs> so I, i'm not sure it's hurting your listenership at all i i do want to say though how much i absolutely respect you for coming on to the podcast uh to uh defend your tier um with devin booker i think that a lot of other um podcasters and uh, national writers and, and different things like that. Wouldn't, wouldn't have done that. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm, really I, taking I can tell you for on.
2: sure. And I'll, I'll say his name because, um, he, he was unabashed about it. Um, um, Oh my God. I just, Oh yeah. Ben Golliver. So Ben Golliver had some really, really hot takes about the Suns that were, that were just simply hot takes and, and not defensible in this kind of situation. And I tried to get Ben to come on and he was, um, just as, as unavailable as you were the first time, and, and yet ben just dropped it and became unresponsive whereas as you Nate i really appreciate the fact that you followed through and got yourself onto the pod and found some time and we and we mutually found some time to do this so thank you very much for coming on there are others who love to take have their hot takes and then uh just go home with them
0: all right well thanks for having me on guys i, I appreciate it and uh, this is a fun conversation it's always it, it's important certainly to feel like you can back up your opinions or they're not worth having
2: Exactly. So maybe uh, later in the year or next year we'll have you back on, and we'll see if anything's changed.
0: Yeah, and we, we could maybe we could go over your you guys uh, killing me and your reaction to my off season grades that uh, it turned out to be pretty correct so far too. <laughs> 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 so we could so we could say we could save that we could save that for next time.
2: <laughs> hey, come on, Trevor Ariza was the answer, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think one thing that's been kind of underrated, though. I mean, that that signing was obviously a disaster. But they actually got an asset for him, right? I mean, if you yeah, wanted to say, did. like, well, as what? as funny as it is to say, I mean, that signing was a disaster as far as, like, making the team win this year. They'd take it off as yeah. soon as they traded him. It was uh, the worst But Yeah, yeah yes. they actually got a guy that, you know, teams in theory would have been willing to give something up for, you know, now did they get as much as they could have if they'd been willing to kind of take on bad money with that or if they had tried to sign a younger guy who could have been part of the core or whatever you know you can argue that but they did actually get something for
1: their Uh, yeah Suns
2: Suns fans are actually pretty excited about Kelly Oubre because he does what um the young players all are trying to do and so he's actually um being a good uh, a good model for Josh Jackson as well who's been completely awful in his second year because um, he he just hasn't figured out where he would fit, and now he's watching Kelly Ubre. He's basically doing the same thing Kelly Ubre does, except right-handed, um, and it's 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 kind of fun to watch. And so yeah, the Suns have gotten what I called it was um, uh, well, it was both me and Greg on the on an earlier episode saying the Suns are only going to get by on dumb luck at this point because they haven't done it on planning uh, very well. So and the dumb luck was, was making having that trade actually work out to where Oubre does come to the Suns, <laughs> over over Dylan Brooks or Marshawn Brooks.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I like Ubre better than uh, than Dylan Brooks. Uh, I think sure. the Suns
2: probably always would have liked him better, but I think it was the Washington that wanted to broker a trade and get a draft pick back as well as Trevor Ariza. I don't know that Ubre was ever on the table for the Suns until the original trade fell through. I. I a lot of people think the Suns didn't want Oubre, but I would expect they always wanted Oubre, but just didn't want to give up an az- a draft asset for him.
0: Well, and, and actually, speaking of Suns moves that I liked, I, I, or I shouldn't say liked, but I defended the Suns. I think that it, on the way that whole thing fell apart, like there's no way that they would have been willing to make the trade for Marshawn Brooks. Like that never right. would have made <laughs> any sense, right? Like, like I, I think it's probably Memphis uh, that. Mess that up, or maybe Washington with the communication. Yeah. Uh, Washington
2: was trying to be the broker, and uh, I think either Washington intentionally or unintentionally got the brookses wrong. And Memphis probably never wanted to give up uh, Dylan for Kelly Oubre, and the Suns never wanted to get Marshawn for, you know, Trevor. So I think Washington just didn't know what the heck they were doing, and all of a sudden it it all played out live.
1: <laughs> but why why did well, they get on a conference call or an email or? <laughs> You know, that, that's well, that's it. I don't They, they did. It was it, it was
0: the trade call apparently was, <laughs> <laughs> Um well, and then also like do you did you guys notice how meant the Chris Wallace like really vehement statement like at no point was Robert pira and Robert Sarver talking about this trade? And so yeah, like I thought that was yeah, exactly. That was a very artfully phrased <laughs> denial. Yeah.
2: Right, exactly, because they had been talking about in general a Dylan Dylan Brooks acquisition, but yes, uh, this trade was never discussed between those well, guys. Yeah,
0: I, I'm glad the Suns are playing well because I don't want to have to watch like two months of just like horrendous tanking basketball. Hey, well, like, you aren't
1: podcasting I... about the Suns; we don't either. Trust me. Uh,
2: trust me. <laughs> I agree with you. We're glad they're playing better. I was I was joking with a friend of mine. I am the king even though that's my last name. I am the king of, of being able to talk constantly about a team and not focus on win-loss record. <laughs> All
0: right, been- well, th- this has been great. Uh, I got to get back to uh, sticking some needles into the hamstring of my Devin Booker voodoo doll. Uh, <laughs> so th- thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Nate Duncan, it's a pleasure. We, we really appreciate you coming on. Have a good rest of your day, man. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks. You just got done listening to the solar panel. For more great Suns content, check out the Timeline podcast for stuff like this. There's no way that Hakeem Olajuwon makes his own pancakes. I'm really sorry that you just made a great coherent point and that's all I had to respond with, but all it did was lead me to look up the fact that Hakeem Olajuwon made $110 million in his NBA career, and God knows how much since then. He easily has someone at his ranch to make his pancakes, right? That's The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.